0: everyone, welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church, and today we're going to listen to an episode that's part of our Escaping Babel series. Escaping Babel is all about escaping cultural captivity with gospel truth. Today we're going to talk about singleness. There are a lot of people inside and outside the church that want to be married, but aren't. It's a huge desire that has captured us in some ways to see singleness as a problem and marriage as an idol, or vice versa. In this episode, you're going to hear from Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, John Seketowski, our director of Kids Ministries, and Miriam Butterfield. Miriam is one of our amazing staff members here at High Point, and she's going to share a little bit of her story and what God has revealed to her through it. Then, Nick is going to talk about what different types of single people need to hear, because it varies depending on your situation. If you have any questions or feedback, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. My name is John Sikotowski. I'm here with Miriam Butterfield. Hello. And Nick Gibson.
2: Miriam's name is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I love the last name Butterfield.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah, it's nice. It's pretty great. Um, so recently throughout the engagement podcast, we've been talking about, um, all sorts of things related to this topic that we're calling escaping Babel and the idea behind that being escape, escaping cultural captivity, that worldliness has worked its way into so many of our structures, whether those would be romance and dating or life stages or. Friendships, all sorts of other things. And so we need to look at those things and examine the ways that we need to decisively leave Babel that we need to turn from the, from the structures that were being handed by the world and by the way we grow up and by the culture and into a new structure that is created by Jesus. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about a lot of times on this podcast related to escaping Babel is singleness, dating and romance. And in this particular episode, we're going to be talking about, um, different kinds of singleness and what to do related to those different kinds of singleness. Um, so let's jump into that. Yeah.
2: So, um, Miriam is with us. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you and Miriam, John and Miriam are both single people and, um, not, um, super committed to single. They're both willing to change
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: if they want. Um, but so Miriam has been kind of, she, the place she's at is like, she kind of came back to church a couple years ago here. She came on our staff pretty soon after that. Mm-hmm. So we got to see a lot of transition for her. Um, but Miriam has grown a ton in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. And part of that is she's just grappling with, okay, where am, where am I at? Where am I at with this singleness thing and romance related to really being Jesus disciple. And so mm-hmm. Miriam has some, yeah. Testimonial thoughts.
3: So I'm just going to back up a little bit. Um, so all of my 20s, I marriage and having a family was always something that was really important to me. I've mm-hmm. always wanted it ever since I was a little kid. Um, in my 20s, it was really hard because I had dated a couple guys, but it didn't really, never went anywhere. I dated one guy who was, it was not a good relationship at all. Um, and so all of my 20s, marriage now I've I'm seeing it marriage became very much like an obsession and I really honestly made it an, an idol um all of my 20s I really struggled hard with not finding somebody to marry um and just that part of me feeling like it was dying that I was not maybe gonna have kids or whatever that looked like um it wasn't until last year um so I turned 30 last year. And it wasn't until last year that God really started working in my heart of what does it look like to be single. Um, and so I had went on a couple of dates with a guy last year, and it didn't work out. But through that process, I really saw um, that I deserve God's best for my life, in, especially in a mate, and I don't want to settle um, – For anything less than his best for my life, within marriage, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that has been kind of like a um, over the last like year. Like I've gone to a couple weddings this year, and weddings for me are always kind of hard because it's something that I've always desired, and um, and specifically this one wedding back in October. um, God, the next day just really, really laid on my heart that. Um, his plan for me is to give me hope in a future and not to harm me. So no matter what his plan is, even if it's not to be married, if it's to be single, if that was what his plan is for my life, that I'm okay with that. And I told God that for the first time this last year, and I bawled as I said those words, Mm -hmm. but it was, I think we have to come to that point of willing to accept um, where God has us and be happy in that place And something that's always been hard for me, too, is the whole idea of um, contentment. Um, A lot of single people hear, oh, if you just are content, like, that person will come along, and that's not necessarily true. Um, And so we're kind of holding on to that, okay, I'm just going to be content, and then it's going to happen. And I think contentment for me looks a lot differently. Like, we have to be in each season of our life. So if that's me being single, um, we have to be content in that. And what that could look like is just being, um, finding joy, doing things by yourself or doing them with Mm -hmm. your friends, where that's something like if it's an event and you see couples together, for me, that was always really hard of, of, um, Wanting that, but now I'm trying to like change my attitude to see like, no, I'm with friends. I can still enjoy this thing with friends, even though I am single. Um, so it's been, it's been this last year, such an attitude change for me and an adjustment of like, I can either be in this place and be absolutely miserable, which I was, I feel like in my twenties miserable because that's all I focused on. That's all I wanted Or I could be joyful in this and still hopeful and anticipate that. Um, One of the struggles I did have was just the whole like, okay, God has given us these desires, uh, especially for women to like have children and all that. What do you do? How do you be hopeful and anticipate, but also um, tell your heart to like wait um, that's been something that I've struggled with f- for a long time mm-hmm. and I'm still kind of struggling with it. Um, but I'm seeing more and more as God's revealing, um, what it looks like to be single and how to steward that very well. Um, I'm, I'm accepting it a little bit more and I'm seeing, I'm seeing also that like when we align our desires with God's desires his desires become ours no matter what that looks like mm-hmm. um and that kind of the last wedding I went to after the day after that was another thing God brought to my attention of like um like the verse says um uh delight yourself in the lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart i always thought of that verse as like oh god'll just kind of give you what you want
4: mm-hmm.
3: and I've kind of reread that and it has a new meaning to me. Like, no, our desires, if we are aligning ourselves with God, our desires, his desires will become our desires. Right. Um, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of the verse where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. Like, mm-hmm. if you delight yourself in the Lord mm-hmm. and you really want him and his ways and His the things of him, then he'll, he'll give you those things because he's dying to give you those things. Mm-hmm. Okay, sir, so I can think of three things based on what you said that are important. One is that's good. What you're saying is, is really important Mm -hmm. for people to recognize that you have to be able to accept your real life where it is right now. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Right. And that's critical. And so that I think that that spiritual evolution for you is that's really good. And I think people need to hear that. Mm -hmm. The second thing is what you were saying about contentment, I think is really important Mm -hmm. where it is a fake contentment to try to be content so that you can get what you want yeah you can't do that that's not going mm-hmm. there's nothing content about that it's a it truly is a fake non-content contentment mm-hmm. so you really have to do you really have to at some point basically say god i'm willing for all these dreams to be burned to ashes mm-hmm. and for me to have a new dream in you and for me to figure out what that looks like and and to truly be content wherever you take me and yeah sometimes that really makes the difference and but sometimes it it makes a difference just in you, not in changing mm-hmm. your circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I think that you got to be really careful what you mean by contentment, because sometimes mm-hmm. it just you're just trying to manipulate God into giving you what you want by pretending mm-hmm. you're content when you're really not. And I think the third is is the phrase when you use the phrase "God's best for me." I think bears some clarification, just because. Um, some people sometimes mean by that, right? Like they want somebody who is like the best God could possibly make mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than like accepting God's better. Mm. You know, sometimes using it in the comparative is more, is more helpful. Is It's better just to say, well, I'm, I'm willing to receive something from God that is better. So if right now I'm single, the better I know I can receive is contentment in fully engaging in that singleness. And that's better. Mm -hmm. then if somebody comes along and I feel like being with them would be better Mm -hmm. and they seem to be someone that God is giving me like they're godly. They seem to value me well. They seem to be this kind of person who wants to lead towards Jesus. So I can follow them and follow Jesus at the same time. And that all that it seems like that could be God's better Then I think if that person's suitable and you want to be with them, then you can move towards that better. And I, I think that it's important to just say, you know, God has a better for me. Wherever mm-hmm. I'm at here, mm-hmm. um, either accepting more of his will, growing more in his character, being more fully focused on his will. And also, though, but, but then it can also change. Mm-hmm. But if you get in your mind this idea of the best and best means the best of all possible worlds, then you're looking for this like super hunk, rich, Jesus, fictional character that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And when normal men ask you out or normal women are around you, you won't think there's God's better for me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think the idea of God's best is good. That God has a hope and a plan for you is, is very true and a necessary truth. But Satan's always trying to take a something true and like turn it into this weird monstrosity of a caricature. Mm -hmm. And I think for some men and women seeking Mm -hmm. quote, God's quote, God's best is a way that deception happens. Mm -hmm. And then they just overlook very suitable people right in front Mm -hmm.
4: of
1: them. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so in this episode, we're going to be eventually kind of diving into different different types of singleness and what to um, potentially what to what to pursue in each of those different categories. But before getting into that, I guess why is it why is it important in relation to escaping babel? to talk about singleness. I think some of it is related to those three things you said, um, yeah. but kind of broadening it out. Why is it important to to speak about singleness in relation yeah. to Escaping in Babel? In
2: every single Escaping Babel podcast we've done, or Escaping Babel-ish sermon that I've done, I always get the backlash of, well, what about me? Or how dare you say this? Mm-hmm. Be- and the reason for that is that like subdivisions are the bane of ministry and the fountain of offense, to quote myself. Uh, <laughs> like... <laughs> It, because in Christian ministry, the, one of the first assumptions we're supposed to have is that we're all basically the same. We're, we share a common humanity. We're under a common curse. We struggle with a common flesh. We are serving a common savior. We have the armaments given by the common spirit. We are like, you know, it's a, the first verse of Ephesians four is like same baptism, same, right. We're all yeah. the same. And, and we're much more the same than we think we are. Right. But at the same time, we're also really different. We have different um, experiences, different gifts, different like callings or like abilities like cognitively or athletically, you know, we're different heights. And I mean, there's a lot of differences, right? And one of those differences is our marital status, mm-hmm. right? But even within that, there are subdivisions. And so you can think that you're being nuanced by saying, well, I'm a single person and I think different than you married people. And you think you're onto the subdivision, but there's actually subdivisions within the subdivisions. Yeah. So within single people, there's numerous subdivisions of why people are single or what sort of station of singleness they're a part of mm-hmm. and if you don't know that there are those subdivisions you'll think singleness is one thing or just a couple things mm-hmm. and yeah. then therefore i'm talking to you and either you'll get offended when i'm not even talking to you mm-hmm. or you'll wonder what the heck i'm talking about and wish that i could talk about you mm-hmm. and so like when we did the manliness episodes we just did that masculinity I've had some, a couple of non-traditional men kind of get back to me and be like, could you say more about men who don't, aren't really interested in fixing a car? Like, Mm -hmm. and and the answer is sure, absolutely. But let's just recognize there are multiple kinds of masculinity. And as a pastor, I'm trying to speak to big, the biggest buckets I can get at. And then I'll subdivide and subdivide and subdivide as time permits. Yeah. But for the most part, all of us, um, like if you subdivide everybody down, by every difference Mm -hmm. eventually what you get is individualism right Right. every but nobody's exactly like anybody else Mm -hmm. and so i if i had to literally speak to every individual subdivision about you i literally would have to talk to each person personally and individually after i absolutely knew everything about them which Mm -hmm. is not possible that will Mm -hmm. never happen (laughs) that's that's why in christian life the responsibility for discipleship isn't on the pastor it's on the individual christian Mm -hmm. you have Mm -hmm. to disciple yourself I am a resource.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So you have to go through the process of picking and figuring out what's true and what I say, how it applies to you exactly how it does or doesn't and all that. And so one of the ways to try to clarify that in singleness is to say in this podcast, here's seven sort of quote types of singleness mm-hmm. that exist. Not all are equally Christian. Yeah. and discipleship focused. What, where and then, But then you get to decide where are you? Mm. Where are you right now? Where do you want to be? what what blind spot maybe did you have and then to take what i say and to try to move towards something instead of being offended by what i didn't say or how you think i'm telling you you're this rather than that Mm -hmm. because sometimes i think with single folks and this is true for everybody but single folks at least when we're talking about singleness the temptation to take offense is high Mm -hmm. because a lot of times you're listening to married people especially if you're a single woman you're listening usually to a married man and it just feels like condescension And what I'm saying is, you have to get over that. Mm -hmm. You have to get over that. Because Jesus explicitly commanded that his church be led mostly by men, and most of them are going to be married men. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. And so it's a good reason why there should be women's ministries and women teaching women. But at the same time, you have to get over certain things. And so anyway, um, so I think by single people looking at the different kinds of singleness, then they can go through the diagnostic process themselves. Where am I? Which am I? What's true of me? Um, Do I want to improve? Am I I right where I should be? And if I want to change, how do I change?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is helpful for me even to think of the idea that there might be different types of singleness Mm -hmm. because I've often, I've often felt myself in um, kind of on both sides of this, where either preaching that's heading towards single people kind of, I get this feeling of like, ah, this feel like this, this feels like this doesn't quite, fit me even though we're talking about single people or times where um there is an offense amongst that is being talked about amongst single people and i'm like i don't see why this is a problem um yeah
2: because they're saying that's not true of me how dare you and mm -hmm. my my answer is right right if it's not true of you then this doesn't apply to you Right. right When I say, I mean, I try to say, I mean, you just can't say, you know, there is a subunit of single people that makes up maybe 14.6%, which (laughs) this could apply to if you fit these 27 categories. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to intuitively be like, oh, yeah, that's me. Just like whenever anybody says anything. I'm open. I think this this is what we're supposed to be pursuing with humility. I'm trying to take in anything that's good. I'm trying to filter out what's bad, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like a little, I'm like a little crustacean with those little things and they're just like, they're, <laughs> the water's going by and they're like, you know, they're just, they're got grabbing these the little grab the things tendrils. You want and letting the rest go yeah, by. Yeah, if you were in the, in the studio here, you he would, he would see me swiggling <laughs> my fingers <laughs> where I'm like, you know, I'm filtering out the good pl- plankton and I'm getting the oxygen I need and then I'm letting the rest just pass by and I'm mm-hmm. dumping my waste into it mm-hmm. and I'm filtering <laughs> the water. You know what I'm saying? And in some ways, every Christian listener is doing that. We're yep. listening with wisdom and humility for what's good. Letting that in, and and then sometimes yeah we need to let in things that hurt because they might be true. Right. Mm-hmm. But then we have to investigate whether or not they're true, and sometimes they're par- partly true or they're true in a certain kind of way, or and you've mm-hmm. got to work through that, or you'll never sort out right. what's really going on. Right. And, and so like I've have had single people admit that there are different kinds of single people. For example, I was talking with these two single women over lunch one time in the summer, and they were talking about that how they were actually talking about how they they didn't like some of the things I said about singleness. <laughs> And and then in the conversation, and this was not hypocrisy, this is just a different point. They said, "Um, you know what really bothers me? When people who are in serious dating relationships call themselves single.
4: Mm. They Mm -hmm. were like,
2: I hate that. Mm. Because you're not single. You don't have no one to talk to at the end of the day. You don't have, wonder if any man finds you attractive. You don't want, like... Yeah, you're not married, but you're not single, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> no. in terms of Christian theology, yes, they are single, but, mm-hmm. the, but broad, broadly speaking, they recognize there's a difference within singleness. Right. right. If you're in a committed right. relationship and you're not in a committed relationship, you don't feel the same way. Your life doesn't look the same. It's not the same thing. Correct. <laughs> Similarly, there are many other <laughs> more differences, right? Yeah. And we should just, if we discern those, we'll be less offendable more open to truth. We can listen with more humility. We could diagnose things better. Mm -hmm. We can, because some of these, you might think you're one kind of not quite right single, but it may be actually you're a different one. And you didn't even know.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. And I think it can be helpful just to give some, um, in order to like tune our intuition, just to start to give a few objective categories. So you can start to think, Oh, there are categories to this thing. So maybe I fall into one of these seven or maybe I fall into one that's further nuanced. Cause right. Each one of us eventually right. falls into mm-hmm. the one that yeah, is okay. individual so me- to us. Exactly.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't do a very job listening to what you just said. Would
1: you, would you like to rant for a moment?
2: <laughs> I know. I, I, I like what you said triggered a new rant and I was done listening before you were done talking. I I apologize. <laughs> You're, um, you're forgiven. Sorry, yeah. Um, so I think that there's I'm gonna say my most, hopefully my most controversial thing for the podcast right now. I think there's two <laughs> lies Christian single women in particular believe, especially particularly within evangelical Christianity. The first is is that there just aren't going to be enough men for them to get a man. Hmm. Because there tend to be more women than men in church. And that's true. I to a certain extent that's true. I try to put pressure on men to help with that. Um but there, there are ways in which that does not need to be true. Um, and I don't think it is true. I can't get into all the reasons right now. The, but the second lie I think is, is that there are, I think a lot of Christian women that don't think they're pretty enough and they think that's why they're single. They think they're single because men don't think they're hot enough and guys are just looking for somebody who's hot. And that is not, I just want to tell you that's not true. Okay, so I'm 42, so I'm not old enough not to notice who's pretty, but I've been married 20 years and so I'm not looking for a wife. So I can very easily observe who's getting married, and whether or not it's because they're the hottest thing going. Mm-hmm. And I can just tell you, if you take all the women at this local church who've gotten married, the correlation to hotness is not strong.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Like it's not all the prettiest girls getting married and all the not prettiest girls who aren't. It just doesn't correlate. Mm-hmm. And that's not what our men are doing. Now, uh, yes, a lot of men, what basically most men would prefer pretty versus not pretty. But women often don't realize if they have been brought up in a prudish culture that doesn't deal with physical attractiveness very well because it just wants purity and it doesn't talk about femininity well in terms of attractiveness. Women grow up thinking that like sheer body measurements and facial bone structures, all there is to attractiveness when really it's like you're never truly fully dressed without a smile. Like a lot of times it's Mm -hmm. cheerfulness (laughs) and hopefulness and giving people your attention Mm -hmm. and all these other things that feed into attractiveness. When, when first Peter says, the women of old made themselves attractive with godliness, Mm. not with ostentatious stress. It doesn't mean that's what that doesn't mean is they were these prudish puritanical in the colloquial sense, like unsexual, completely androgynous frowning women. Mm. (laughs) And that Abraham just thought that was hot. Mm
4: -hmm. Like
2: that's not what it means. It means that a godly woman who is full of love and cheerfulness and hope and and all these great virtuous physical attributes or, or character attributes comes across in their embodiedness in a way that makes them attractive to people. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this over and over again as as men and women overcome issues in their character, their sense right. of inferiority, their sense of insecurity, their sense of anger, a lot of their hurts and traumas, their fear that nobody will like them. They, they they overcome those. They become physically attractive. I've seen, especially this is really obvious with some women. I've seen it with men too as women find them more attractive because I don't tend to find men very attractive. But I've seen this with women <laughs> where I notice right. she got prettier. Right. She didn't change at all physically. Her character has changed and she's changed. And I think that there are a lot of christian women who just don't Mm -hmm. understand that they just feel sidelined right and i'm just telling you don't believe those lies Mm -hmm. those are lies Mm yeah there will be enough men god will bring men into his church and he's working with men and women to help us do that and don't believe that it correlates just to like prettiness because it just doesn't Mm -hmm. that's not true
1: Mm yeah amen so let's start to talk about some of these, some of these categories that you have written down. Um, and in each one of these talk about what are some of the, some of the attendant next steps. So can I read,
2: let me read the first line of all seven. So yes. people kind of know mm-hmm. the categories I've laid out. These are, this is not an exhaustive list. Yes. This is Nick brainstorming with himself for like 10
1: minutes. Right. <laughs> right. So let's just be clear. about that. Each individual is the exhaustive list. So these right. might, these are some categories that some be people. As, yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. All right. So one, number one, committed to holy, committed wholly or completely to God, to God in singleness, to live fruitfully and capable of living single with godliness in their sexuality. That's the, like the first Corinthians seven ideal. Mm-hmm. I'm living in singleness. I'm living fully devoted to God. I'm living fruitfully. And I am able to do this with sexual continence was the ancient church word, the ability to hold <laughs> yourself back. Yeah from whatever. Okay. And second, I'm committed to God, but I'm not particularly committed to singleness. So like I'm, I'm fully devoted to God. I am single. I'm not committed to being single. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I find singleness hard and my hopes and dreams are to not be single. Right. Right. Three is prolonged singleness for leisure or achievement. So, so that would be the, like, I don't want to get married right now. Cause I want to find myself. I want to travel. I want to, blah, blah, blah. or achievement. Like I want to get my career really going. I want to, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. So you're delaying from five to 25 years possible marriageable age. I start possible marriageable age at about 20, Mm -hmm. which means you could start looking earlier than that. Um, But statistically divorce rates kind of drop pretty precipitously from 19 to 20. Mm -hmm. And then from 20 Mm -hmm. to 28, um, there's no difference really statistically in how likely you are to get divorced or how well your marriage is to work, whether you get married at 20 or 28. Mm -hmm. So the idea that like, well, you know, if you get married at 30, you just know yourself so much better and your marriage will go Mm -hmm. better. Not really. It's just mm-hmm. not true. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's a logic to that. And when you get married at 28, your marriage often does go as well as if you got married at 20. And part of the reason for that is you do know yourself better. Yeah. But if you get married at 20, you get to know yourself mm-hmm. with the other person. Yeah. Right. You kind of grow together like unbaked clay. And that has its own advantage too. Right. Yeah. So there's different reasons why it works. Does that make right. sense? So, right. so don't buy into that. Anyway, four, the decisive, there's a decisive flaw that undermines romantic romantic attractiveness or relational attractiveness. So romantic attractiveness is the intuitional desire of, oh, well, she's she's or Oh, he's, I'm kind of into him, mm-hmm. but you just kind of feel it and you just kind of know you're into them. And then relational attractiveness, which is, you know, if I was with that person, that would be a good life. Yep. I would like that. Or if I married that person, we could have a good godly marriage that would be for our welfare and benefit and it would be great. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that having a decisive flaw that undermines one of those two. And then five is people who are on strike. There's some people who are just like, I'm not getting married. I'm not marrying some woman who can divorce me, take half my wealth and my children, move to another state. I'm I'm not playing this game. Or women who are like, look, I can marry this guy, but if the divorce rate is 50%, Mm -hmm. I'm 50% likely to be a single mom and I just don't want anything to do with Mm it. I'm not doing it, right? So there are some people that are just, they don't want anything to do with the system. And that seems to be a little bit more with men than women, but I'm not really sure. And I actually think it's also different based on ethnicity. Mm. I think, for example, that in some sectors of the African American community, the adversarial relationship between black men and black women can be more pronounced. Sometimes it's not in other situations. Um, I think that's why among some ethnicities there's a lot of anger about interracial marriage even though they don't think it's morally wrong they think it's kind of a betrayal Hmm. sometimes it's because within that ethnic community there's something of an adversarial relationship between men and women I've met for example Indian women who are like I'll never marry an Indian man Hmm. because they want a more egalitarian framework and Indian men tend to be used to more patriarchal arranged marriage kind of situations. So there's a lot of, there is some ethnicity to that whole like people on strike thing, but even within like the Anglo sphere of like white Americans, there's a, there's still a lot of that. There's yeah. like, there's the whole incel thing and there's people who've been divorced. There's the men's rights movement. There's all, there's a whole subculture of I ain't playing this game. Right. Right. And then six is unskilled at romance. Some people just have a hard time making it go. Like there's girls who don't know how to flirt and guys who don't know how to ask out and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And um, I was with an Orthodox priest yesterday for lunch, my father Gregory, (laughs) one of my friends. And he's just like, it's amazing. He said, I "I told my college students, you know, just this last week, you know, you guys know a whole lot more about sex than I did at your age, but none of you know how to flirt. And I knew how to flirt (laughs) at your age. And I was like, what do you mean by flirt? He's like showing, making other people feel handsome or gorgeous without making an overture of sexual conquest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel uncomfortable because I'm not trying to get you. But I'm saying something that says, you're, you're, you're handsome Mm. or very attractive Mm -hmm. and you feel like a million bucks. He's like, I remember going to Greece and being at a church and like these older men are like flirting with women and they're like, and the women didn't think it was creepy Mm -hmm. because in that part of Greece, there's still a strong taboo against lechery. Mm. So the men aren't going anywhere with this. The women don't have to be afraid they're gonna be sexually harassed. Mm. In America, it's not as strong. And so younger women, when men are like, you're just, you're so gorgeous. You know, if like a Mm -hmm. 60 year old guy tells Miriam she's gorgeous in the hall, she might not be like, oh, that's so great. Uh, you know but but that's partly that's not so much because that older guy doesn't know how to flirt and that that's not some kind of good it's that our uh, it's because we don't have the structure of the boundary against lechery
4: mm-hmm.
2: here that makes that innocent so anyway um but like it's true like if you don't have flirt if you don't know how to express your mm-hmm. engenderedness your ma- masculine your femininity in a way that triggers the other person's masculine or femininity or if you do things that if you just can't get yourself to say will you go out with me Right. Mm-hmm. That they're just, there's a set of skills that you need. And then seven is what I call just call aimless dating. Yeah. There, there, there are some people who have no problem getting dates and getting into relationships that just don't ever end in marriage or just don't seem to progress. Mm-hmm. And Miriam talked about this, about one of her relationships at least. And like, that's a different thing.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, you can act, you can just go out with people. And if you don't structure the relationship in a certain way, and if you don't enter into it with a, with a certain kind of attitude, mm-hmm. with certain kind of shared values, and especially if there's promiscuity, if you're giving sex to each other, that just tends to take the foot off the gas and let the thing coast, and it just usually doesn't go anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's some lack of wisdom there, um, especially in a sexually pr- kind of promiscuous culture. There's a lot of women who who recognize that the way men often behave is that all things being equal, they'll go for whoever gives the most sexual attention, and so they'll get they'll try to get a guy by getting on the front end of that curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving an immoral man what he's looking for, who she thinks can become a moral man or be better in other ways. And then now she's now she's that far down the line. So now mm-hmm. she's had sex with him or had sex with him whenever he felt like it. But now they're in a relationship and now she realizes that this is now a comfort that takes the foot off the gas. Correct. And like he, now he has basically... Let, cause men are very driven by this mm-hmm. sexual need. And, and it's, it's a big part of what they want out of a sexual relationship. A huge, a huge part of what men want out of Bless you, Nick. the relationship with a woman. What they're hoping for in marriage is a very avid, active, fulfilling, enjoyable sex life. Mm-hmm. And so if they're getting that already, that's a, that's a, that's a mm-hmm. huge reason why they want right. to lock the whole thing down. Right. right. So, I think that and all that kind of feeds into this aimless dating, but it's not aimless. Dating is not only related to promiscuity. Mm-hmm. There's other means of aimless dating. You know, some women just get comfortable in a relationship and they're not focused on that. Right there. In fact, more and more, it seems like there are women who are pushing off getting serious, even in dating relationships. But I think, I don't think that's as much aimless dating as going back to the putting things off for the, just for the career thing or putting mm-hmm. things off mm-hmm. to do something else. Yeah. The yeah. aimless dating and number three kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, um, let's go through, let's re go through these one at a time and just talk about what are some of the, um, what are some of the attendant actions that are helpful Mm. to move forward in this particular area? Um, Mm. so starting number one.
2: So there's nothing spiritually wrong with one or two,
1: Mm -hmm. generally speaking. Yeah.
2: One is the ideal. Um, in some ways it is a greater ideal than marriage.
1: Yeah. So again, one is committed wholly to God in singleness to live fruitfully and capable of living single with godliness in their sexuality. Right. So you can be single. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not burning
2: with passion, to put it in Paul's terms. Mm-hmm. Like you can be celibate mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't take all your energy to do it. Yeah. And you're living fruitfully and you can accept the reality of that, what yeah. that means. That the fruitfulness you're going to produce is not going to be children. It's going to be, it's going to be fruitfulness spread out and all these other things that you touch and help flourish, which may be other people's children. It may be the church in God's spiritual children. It may be lots of areas of fruitfulness and there are lots of ways to exert femininity and masculinity outside of the f- nuclear family, the mm-hmm. husband and wife. Yeah. And so it means that you're looking for lots of opportunities to cause things to flourish within that single vocation and you can do it. Yeah. That's the ideal. And in some ways in first Corinthians seven, that is a greater ideal than marriage. Now, when the apostle Paul says that, I think he knows he's talking about a small minority of people. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's ever imagining that that's going to be 40% of Christians, but I think he is recognizing that for those who can do it, it should be seen as a very useful, good godly thing. Yeah. And it also bears with it the witness that Jesus was single. Yeah. Jesus was in his thirties when he was murdered and he didn't seem to have any interest in getting married.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think something that could be helpful in this area is making it clear that you're in that particular vocation so this is something that nicole had mentioned several escaping Babel podcasts ago but kind of like if you were in this vocation of you are comfortable where you are you're not planning on pursuing a spouse that can be really helpful to make that clear to people around you who might be mm-hmm. waiting on you to kind of make a move towards them
2: right yeah Yeah. I mean, most people don't, won't believe you if you say that, but it's it's just, you (laughs) gotta do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Curtis, I forget his last name. Curtis White. Curtis White was an example that he, he didn't say, he didn't say I absolutely rule out ever marrying, but I can do this Mm -hmm. and I find it fruitful and I am living a full life and I, I'm honoring God with all of my time. And I love that. Mm -hmm. God bless him, man. I think that's great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but there are other people who are also single and are celibate but they don't really want to be mm-hmm. but sometimes their vocation is such that it's very difficult to get married. Rose Turnley for example um talked about this at the last sexuality conference that she's been a missionary her whole life and it just she just hasn't been in conducive situations to get married. Yeah. Um and so she would be kind of between these two in a way. So that's gets back at the whole individualism thing. Like if you right. if you take each individual mm-hmm. person, right? But there are some folks that are committed to God, they're not particularly committed to singleness but they're doing it because that's what they're doing. And in that case, I think I would say, go back to what Miriam was talking about, mm-hmm. like embracing what God is doing in your life and then seeing if any of these other things are true until you find a suitable person. Yeah. You know, yeah. What are the, um, one of the, one of the breakouts we're going to have at the next sexuality conference is going to be like single and not waiting. Mm. I think, well, I think it's called single and not waiting around. Mm-hmm. That is, these the two women who are going to lead it. They're both African-American women. One's in her sixties, one is her forties and they're living really fruitfully. So they're like, I don't, I'm not waiting. I'm not like single and waiting. Cause I, cause waiting ends up meaning waiting around and I ain't waiting around. Mm-hmm. So I'm living fruitfully. And if God brings a man to my life, that'd be great. I'd love that. And I'm even looking, mm-hmm. but I, it hasn't happened. I ain't waiting around. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that that's the right attitude.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, third one, prolonged singleness for leisure or achievement. yeah i I just think
2: that's generally a bad idea um i don't i think people need to get serious about because i don't think you find yourself i think you become yourself it's it's not a process of like looking in the field for mushrooms it's more of a project of getting the hot metal of your life under the hammer of the lord's will Mm -hmm. and getting forged and beaten into shape and the apostle Paul said i i I beat my body and make it my slave. <laughs> so in the end, I won't be disqualified from the prize. You know, like, so discipleship is making every effort in the present to become a disciple of Jesus. And then that will affect your masculinity, your sexuality, your purity, all those kinds of things will get affected by it. Yeah. So I think, and I just think that um, one, if you do that for a while, you're actually rejecting the time of real fertility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for this career thing. Mm-hmm that you're doing. And that's really not necessary.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and it can be really problematic. You know, there there are women who are just told that, you know, to wait till they're 35 to have children. Right. That's just really a really bad idea. Right. I
1: think this, I, it, it seems to me that this message is especially damaging for, for young women who have been told, Oh no, you need to find fulfillment in your career or in Mm -hmm. your education or things like that. It's like when you look Mm -hmm. at the things that are actually providing fulfillment to people's lives when they're, in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, especially right. amongst women, it's not, oh, I'm so glad that I put off having a family and instead advanced in my career. It's like, no, the, right. things, the things that are worth pursuing now are family and relationships and things like that and not yeah. setting office.
2: Yeah. Women have always constructed more balanced lives for themselves anyway. Mm-hmm. And so for a woman to be encouraged to pursue careers like men tend to pursue careers, which is like everything else is on hold. I'm going to just like win, win, win. Mm-hmm. Not all men, but like, but, but men who are trying to be high achievers. It, it, Cause it's not like women don't want to work. Or they don't right. like working. They like working. Right. But like when, if you look at your average 54 year old woman, who's in a family that's financially successful with, she doesn't absolutely need the money. She works 15 to 20 hours a week. She's free to go see her grandchildren or her adult children and be with her friends. And she likes her job and she likes her work, but it's, it's a third of her life. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a man, it, that's just doesn't tend to be quite the same. Yeah. But also part of it is like, cause it, it, it's, it's detrimental for women because it puts off their fertility in a way that's really unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Right. But she's got to find a guy who's not doing it. Right. Right. She's got to find a guy who's trying to get married and find a suitable person from 20 to 28, not waiting till they're 30. Right. And so it's detrimental for women, but like men, and women have to agree on this, that when they meet each other at 19 and a half in undergrad, They're looking for a serious relationship, not a hangout relationship or a Mm -hmm. makeout relationship or a video games and sex relationship. And that this is supposed to go somewhere. And I think that, so I think men have to like get in on this. And I think part of it is because as a man, if you believe your, your real calling is to be exploited for the good of the community, i.e. forming a community, which is a home and family, logging the wife is more important than logging the career. Mm -hmm. Like you're looking for that Mm -hmm. woman who is going to be that wife and mother in your family. And if you're doing that, then like you need to get on that one when the pool is still widest open. You don't want Mm -hmm. a bunch of guys picking out their women and then you get in there later. Mm -hmm. You got to believe in a special kind of like there's only one person for anybody romance, which Mm -hmm. is nonsense. You want to get in there when all the women are still available and pursue one that you think is worthwhile. And if mm-hmm. you get beat to pursue another one that you think mm-hmm. is worthwhile mm-hmm. until you win mm-hmm. one who is worthwhile, mm-hmm. putting that off 10 years just diminishes the pool by 70% or 55%. And that's not what you want. Why would any man want that? Yeah. So, um, because the serious women, like the women who are serious about this stuff, they marry mm-hmm. and they, they like, they're, they're focused. So I think that's important. To recognize. But I just think it's, it's just not Christian. It's not, there's nothing Christian about that to say, I'm going to go win at my job and then I'm going to marry. Well, why? Because you want a higher status wife? Is that why? Or husband? Mm-hmm. Is it because you don't value family? Is it because you think childbearing is a disservice to women that they have to bear rather than one of the most beautiful things that the female body and femininity can do? Like, y- usually there are a number of profoundly unchristian assumptions built into this. Mm -hmm. And usually it's also filled with an acceptance of promiscuity Mm
4: -hmm. because
2: nobody wants to live their twenties celibate Mm -hmm. and almost nobody does. And so usually what that means is I'm not going to do what God says is best. I'm not going to accept God's best. I'm going to just do what I want, which is I'm going to have sex with whoever I'm dating and I'm not going to commit to them. And basically I'm going to show an affront to God in my sexuality in my human being and how I treat his children. And mm-hmm. like every girl you go out with is God's daughter, whether she knows it or not yet, yeah. whether she's even a believer or not. Like she, she's, she bears his image. She's incredibly valuable and vice versa for the man, for mm-hmm. the woman. Like, how dare you do that? Yeah. Cause what, I mean, what you're often doing is if you're dating aimlessly or just screwing around with people through that time, cause almost no one is just like focusedly celibate. Right. Is you're enjoying people's twenties mm. and not, giving them your 30s 40s 50s and 60s -hmm. you're cheating them yeah yeah you may be cheating yourself too but that doesn't make it okay you're both cheating each other it's not like it's morally okay because you know you know both know what you're getting into Mm -hmm. and so you're consenting adults no, what you're doing is you're cheating each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And cheating God, which is more important. Right. If you get that straight, you'll people start thinking about this a lot differently. Real right.
1: Thoughts. And I think it's it's helpful to see or Miriam, do you have something to say? I was yeah. just gonna say yeah. on yeah, the point. Miriam was inhaled like four times. She's running <laughs> oh, so.
3: <laughs> um to point three, um, I think sometimes too, like for women, it can be I feel like it can it's either or like either you have the right. career or you have you be a full time mom. Um and so and I've talked to like women who are kind of like you know, when you're in that limbo, like, okay, I'm going for my career because I haven't found somebody to marry. Do I just continue to put all of my energy into my career because nobody's coming along? And I think that can be frustrating and also hard that women are doing the career because that is what's what they want and also right. what's... What's available, hmm. and when there isn't a guy coming along, you know, I I think the the women are like, well, I'm just going to keep pursuing this career, and then yeah, I don't know, I just see that in our in in with a lot of women, it's career and family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just gotten the feel from some people, it's either you put all of hundred percent devotion into your career or hundred percent devotion into your um, marriage or family. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: yeah yeah I, I think that's I think that's true. I think it's also true that sometimes women will pursue their career more because mm. they don't trust men. Mm. they don't trust the man that they'll be with to be there which which is not which is not an irrational fear
4: mm-hmm. right
2: I remember my wife talking about my mother-in-law telling her you need to you need to be a doctor. you need to you know do your undergrad do whatever you need to be a doctor because it doesn't matter if you marry, you can't trust that person to be mm. there you've got to be ready in case they ever leave. And you, so you need to have whatever cre- ultimate career you want for then. Um, which I, I makes it interesting. I wonder if there's, I, sometimes I think that there might be a, um, a free market, um, opportunity here for divorce and in- educational insurance. Or like you could, buy, you could buy like divorce insurance, but, um, anyhow, like, but like, cause it's true. Cause if you, if you don't, if you don't get an undergrad or like if you get an undergrad, that's it. And then you marry somebody and then they abandon you mm. 10 years down the road. And you've got a couple of kids and, um, that is a very terrible position to be in. Mm-hmm. And I think someone are afraid of that. And so they want to get far enough in their career or more established that enough in their sense. career that if that happens, they're going to be okay.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, but if you have a achieved undergrad degree in a field that isn't stupid you know, like it's a field that doesn't end in studies and I don't mean those are all stupid, but if you want financial security, that's stupid. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. And um so I would encourage women to take less coursework in things like women's studies mm-hmm. but instead take coursework in things like business. A you're gonna meet a totally different set of guys, which could which might be good. But but B, that degree is there if you feel insecure or if you feel like something could happen to you. Yeah. If they, if that man does abandon you, then you have a business degree mm-hmm. yeah. instead of a women's studies degree or a, or, or even I'm, I'm picking on feminist now, but like, there's a lot of like nice Christian women who like switch to family studies mm. cause they just want to be moms, mm. which I get cause like family studies. Right. But like, yeah, you can also read like six books and be there. Mm. Right. Whereas if you did your degree in business or something that is more marketable that, that makes you more marketable, whether your husband wants to go for a graduate degree before you have kids. And so you're going to work and support that or whether it's later on, something terrible happens. Like he dies in a motorcycle accident or something and you're a widow or whether he doesn't win the war for his own heart and he abandons you Mm -hmm. in in any of those situations, you still have an income creating potential. And so I think it's great for women to go to college. I think it's great for them to have income creating potential degrees. Mm -hmm. I think most women are going to work for a good portion of their lives. And most of them are going to go back to work later in their lives, even if they stay at home entirely with their children. But the but the point is, is does that delay the bonding and right. creation of a yeah. family? Right. What I'm saying is it should not. Right. That's what I'm saying.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. That, that was the point I was going to make is that there's there's a way to do both of these things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can pursue a career without making it into an all-encompassing, right. all-consuming thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can
2: also, if you start early enough, focus on, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to work out for everybody, right? But if you pair off relatively early, you can still have some years <clears throat> without children. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But there's a big difference between starting to have kids at 26 or 27 and 32. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, well, I want to have my kids by the time I'm 30. Okay, great. Well, you've got to reverse engineer that. How many kids? And if you want to have them a couple years apart, you got to f- have your last kid then, which means when you have to have your first kid, which means how long do you want to have with your husband or wife before you start having kids? Mm-hmm. And then how long do you think you're going to be dating somebody? And how long do you think it's going to take to find the right person to date? Right. Well, that's a decade, right? right. And so you've got to like, work it back and realize that like if you start getting serious when you're 28 you're having kids mm-hmm. like when you're 38 mm-hmm. and that's just the human body isn't built for that and it's, it's just, there's a lot of reasons why that is not a great way to go mm-hmm. and also people don't tend to get really serious about their careers until they're married especially men yeah and mm-hmm. so if what you want is to make more money
1: yeah. get married right right get married
2: yeah. because then you'll be like crap I need to do something that it turns into income Mm-hmm. I'm sorry we're, spending, we're getting back into some masculinity stuff yeah. here but yeah. all this stuff interrelates obviously right. mm-hmm. and I think when, you, it, when a man gets married earlier his career is going to do a lot better usually mm-hmm. and usually usually 40% better and it's and you'd be like well that just creates more income inequality with women well guess what at least for a Christian that money all goes into the same bank account
4: mm-hmm. the
2: best way to create income inequality for women is if women are all married to a man if all women were married to a man there would be no income inequality in terms of the real money women received
4: and mm-hmm.
2: Every woman would be equal, mm-hmm. statistically speaking, relative to other things, because the unequal income of the man and the woman are going into the same bank account. And guess who? Guess who statistically unequally spends money? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm making right. my sassy face, but it's women. <laughs> right. Right. So there's a yeah, huge inequality. In Seventy percent of consumer
1: debt. Seventy percent of consumer decisions are
2: are women are or are kids. Women, yeah. Right. Right. And so you want to talk about inequality with money? <laughs> guess who spends almost all of my money? My wife, because that's her duty to do it, just Mm -hmm. as it's my duty to make most of it in our particular situation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all these things feed into each other.
1: Right. Um, I'm
2: not saying like, if you don't find somebody, you don't find somebody, but don't screw around. And mm -hmm. and I I can't say this enough. There is the community effect of this. The reason why you need to do this is the more people who pair off earlier, it creates a domino effect Mm -hmm. because a lot of times people are waiting around for different people. And then when that person gets locked up, they're like, I guess I better move on. And then that guy starts looking for another girl. And Mm -hmm. they're like, if you're screwing around, especially if you are highly desirable as a woman or a man, there's like a whole number of decision domino effect decisions of other people pairing off that are kind of getting hung up by you. Mm -hmm. And that's really selfish to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Pick somebody, marry and love them and let other people get on with their lives to pick people so that other people will get on to pick people so that that domino effect happens. And because if you're a highly desirable person and you don't pair off, you are hurting everybody less desirable than you Mm -hmm. in, in one way or another. And it's very, very selfish. You need to not do that. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Right. Uh, Number four is having a decisive flaw that undermines romantic attractiveness uh, or relational attractiveness. This is the one I
2: get in trouble for the most. Right.
1: I think this is, I think this is the one that's, that's easy to get in trouble for, but really is a big category. Like I know, I know that I have fallen into this category Yes. Yeah. Um, previously. Um, and this it, is, a,
2: this category is high point specialty,
1: frankly. R- right. <laughs> right. And I think, um, it was, it was very helpful for me to realize that I was in this category, mm-hmm. um, where it, it was never, it was never particularly difficult early on in my dating life to, to get a first date, but it was, it was difficult to let that last for very long or if it did last for very long for the woman I was dating to not kind of always feel a sense of, ah, I don't really know if I want to move forward with you. And that was because of a lot of my, mm-hmm. um, I dealt a lot with being sort of a quote unquote Christian nice guy mm-hmm. and a, this sort of like floaty wanting to, wanting to always be people pleasing. And, um, that was a, decisively unattractive flaw
2: yeah very yes yeah, so let me read the paragraph here so that people know kind of where i'm coming from so this is what i write into this some single people presently have a certain kind of personality flaw or character flaw that decisively undermines them as an object of romantic attractiveness so okay let me finish for a second this could this could be having a shallow faith being a quote nice guy which often means weak guy this could mean androgynous femininity, social withdrawal, withdrawal, profound shallowness, crippling insecurity, inferiority or self-doubt, strong emotional volatility, relational disloyalty and so on. So there's like mm-hmm. there there are a number of these things that either make you immediately and intuitionally sexually unattractive. Like nobody is going to notice you as a man or a woman. Yeah. Being a man or a woman. Or they look at you and mentally with their reason project what life with you would be like. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. And so for, for either of those reasons, so for some people, a person might look at you and be like, oh, they they have a really volatile temper or they're disloyal or they spend money terribly. If I married that person, they'd make my life a living hell. That's that second one. That mm-hmm. is um, re- relational attractiveness, a problem with relational attractiveness. Yeah. Romantic attractiveness tends to be intuitional. You just know you're attracted to somebody. But that doesn't mean that the flaw isn't real or obvious or something you can work on mm-hmm. so for example fully androgynous femininity like if you have been if as a woman you've gone to churches
1: which means sort of like a non-sexual yeah, or like, like a non-feminine feminine right
2: you're not putting out any feminine energy right mm-hmm. right that's in because that's necessary to activate the man's attraction of you like mm-hmm. he's going to be attracted to you sexually it's a sexual attraction and it's as a man Right. And so there has to be a certain kind of feminine energy you're putting out. And so some women have been treated either by their families or by their churches or in some way, or because femininity is just attacked out of a certain kind of misguided feminism, like fundamentalists and liberals can all create this, like, <laughs> it, it, you know, but it creates a kind of femininity that is not feminine mm-hmm. and does not exude a feminine energy. And when you don't do that, it doesn't activate the masculinity in the man you want to be interested in you. Mm -hmm. And so they just pass by you like you're a tree and you're kind of like, why, why aren't guys interested Mm -hmm. in me? I'm not that ugly. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, you're not. No, but there is a certain kind of cheerfulness or a certain Mm -hmm. kind of giving your attention with a real kind of openness or Mm a, um, the kind of eye contact you give and the body language that you use. And, Um, Either out of pious reasons of muting your sexuality because you want to be modest, but doing that in a way that's actually ultimately unhelpful, or something like that, where like men aren't getting, and some of that may be like you don't know how to flirt, Mm
4: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. and or you just you're you're expecting a guy not to pay attention to you, so you're really not giving them great eye contact, Mm -hmm. or you're not orienting your body to them in a way that's Mm -hmm. accepting towards them, and they're reading that body language, and they're either reading like that you're not interested. You're pre-rejecting them because the thing that activates man's, a male's sexual energy is not mainly how hot you are. It's a, um, would she say yes if I asked and B, would she like it if I was around? And if those aren't there, if they don't, if a man doesn't feel like he will be both accepted and in that acceptance enjoyed by the woman, Mm -hmm. he's not interested because all you're going to do is add to his sense of inferiority and rejection and he's not interested in that.
3: And also for the guy to be needed because I think something I've struggled with in this, in this part is like there's a lot of women that can be very independent and I'm one of them, and mm-hmm. I think it's good to be independent, but to the point of is it kind of a turn off to a guy of like well sh- I'm never going to be needed she can she why can- would she
2: keep me around mm-hmm. right,
3: right right and so I think that's a really important thing for women to know too because that's something I've seen in myself where I'm like yeah. okay I need to tone it down where I'm. I, it's good to be independent as a woman, and you need to be, especially when you're single. But is that kind of a turn off to guys? Of like, yeah. Well, she'll, she, you know, she'll never need me or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to add that. for the in. minute
2: I annoy the crap out of her, or like she's cross <laughs> right. with me, because right. every man knows that women are are going to get upset at you. Like mm-hmm. that that happens, right? Mm-hmm. And if they doesn't don't have a reason to keep you around, right? Why would they? Right.
1: Yeah. I think something that's something that I find very attractive is the, is kind of like the independent in- interdependence, mm-hmm. like a, like a sense of, um, when I'm around a woman who is clearly very independent and capable, mm-hmm. but is still choosing to be interdependent in certain ways. Um, and like showing that, okay, even though I'm capable of doing a certain thing, I'm, I'm willing to let you or like I want you to to take the lead in this, or to engage in this with me, um, as opposed to oh no, I'll just do it myself, mm-hmm. you know. And I think yeah. that can yeah. be a way. I think that can be a way for for a highly independent woman to to express that.
2: Yeah, it's like a, a strong responsiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yes.
1: Um, and then and then right. And then I think the the main one for guys in this area, at least in our current cultural moment, tends to be that sort of nice guy syndrome the the sense of um, i think there is something to this of the kind of like this reaction against strong masculinity in our culture that has then produced men who have been raised without a sense of what it means to actually embrace masculinity and so in this sort of vacuous lack of a structure men tend to kind of float around and not really know what they should or shouldn't be doing and it creates a very a profound lack of gravity and that's very unattractive.
3: Can yeah. you explain a little bit like what a nice guy, like what does that look like? What mm-hmm. What do you mean by when you say nice guy? Just yeah. for me, for clair- a little bit of clarity.
2: Um. So I think that what one of the questions a woman is asking intuitively, she may not even know she's asking it, is if I'm with this man, is he going to fight for me? Okay. And if she believes that he's going to please anybody who demands that they that he pleased them, then you can't really trust him to be interested in your interests. And if you marry him and have children and become increasingly more vulnerable, mm-hmm. you need to be increasingly more sure that this man has your interests in mind mm-hmm. and it will tell everybody to go like do something to themselves that we shouldn't mention here if like <laughs> they try to control him. Okay. So you need a man who is fully committed to you but unable to be controlled by other people okay. in, in ways he shouldn't be. And so a nice guy, a guy who's always going around and trying to everybody make everybody think he's nice and, pl- and be a pl- people pleaser is a guy who can be manipulated by lots of different people. And that, you know, it, women know intuitively because it's oftentimes not cognitive because I've, I've had women say to me, you know, so-and-so is such a nice guy. I don't know why, I've d- dated that other guy and I turned him down and I just don't understand. And I've, I've listened to women say that to my <laughs> wife and I just want to stop them and be like, sweetie, it's because he's a nice guy and your visceral animal woman self cannot accept him. Mm-hmm. And somebody mm-hmm. needs to tell that guy to like the, the old language would be to grow a pair, <laughs> right. Or to get a backbone yeah, or to figure out who you are. And because a woman has to know, that that guy has her back Mm -hmm. and is committed to their family. Right. And if she thinks there's any possibility he's not going to be, or anybody else can manipulate him, he's just not interesting. And so that's one of the reasons why bad guys work because the the woman's like, well, maybe Mm -hmm. I can get him to be, if I can get him to be committed to me, he won't listen to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Then here's a guy who will care about me and, Mm -hmm. and will care about us and what we make together. That's usually very foolish. Unless, because if he's not controlled morally by God's law, then he will not fight for you in the end. Mm. Right. But your visceral female self isn't, doesn't know that your rational godly self can know that. But if the, if a a guy is a nice guy in this negative sense, oftentimes what happens is a girl just won't be interested Mm -hmm. and sometimes Mm -hmm. she'll even reproach herself for not being interested. Mm. But that's why it's a, it's a visceral, it's not in your conscious mind. It's deeper than that. Okay helpful
1: thank you uh number five people on strike um some singles view they had very bad experiences with men or women or they've heard stories seen destructive relationships and their families or known that the present system is set up to screw them over
2: right yeah that's technical Mm -hmm. language right yeah i think there's a book by helen smith called men on strike that talks about just like I mean, she just combed through thousands of comments in like chat rooms and stuff like, like gamer men and like just guys mm-hmm. kind of like in the shadows being like those terrible, like they're, they're just like, women are just unmarriageable. They're just, they're, they're just, they'll, they'll suck the life out of you. They're just going to, They're just going to like vampirically eat the life and like use you as a man, (laughs) suck everything out of you and then throw you, right? Which is exactly how a lot of women feel. Well, men are going to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of men do in dating relationships. But there are ways women can really abuse men, especially the way the marriage system is set up right now. So yeah, there's a lot of men who, who, and women, but I think for this category, I'm thinking more about men Mm -hmm. that are just kind of like, I don't want anything to do with that whole system. Yeah, Forget it. Well, the first objective criteria for that for a Christian is, okay, fine as long as you cannot have sex with anybody mm-hmm. right? And for a lot of men, they'd be like, "Oh shoot, you know mm-hmm. um, but beyond that, God says marriage is noble, and God can change hearts and people, and there are women who will honorably engage in the in the beauty and the conjugal union of marriage and not betray it and not betray you. And as a man, you need to become more powerful in your capacity to discern what woman that is rather than just get angry that so many women aren't that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally true that like at least half of the population of women in America is completely unmarriageable to anybody with any wisdom at all. But at the same time, of all the professional football teams that are going to play on Sunday morning, half will lose and half will win. Mm-hmm. But we know four or five of them that are highly likely to win. Cause they're just good at football
4: Mm -hmm. and
2: some are really bad at football. And so by discerning and becoming good at discernment, you can choose a woman that is highly unlikely to do that. And then you can live with her in such a way and nurture her and lead her in such a way as so that she's even more unlikely to do that. And then if she does do that and abandon you and rip your guts out, you'll be man enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. And at least you lived in a way that was honorable and good instead of selfish mm-hmm. and cowardly. And so now I know a lot of people are going to, the way men's rights people or people who critique that kind of idea, they're going to be like, well, that's white knightism. That's saying that no matter how badly men are treated, men should still do what's right. Mm-hmm. And that is not what I'm mm-hmm. saying. What I'm saying is you can be strong enough and wise enough and discerning enough as a man. And you can participate in a sub-community called the church which is forming women and men in a certain, in certain ways. So as to form them to be the kind of people who are seeking the right thing. And you can find a woman who is seeking to do the right thing, mm-hmm. who is a different kind of woman. You could be a different kind of man. And in addition to use that discernment to pair up in a certain kind of way so that the white knight finds the white maiden. Right. Right. And so that's not the same thing as white natism because I do think that our laws are crappy. I think that people treat each other terribly. I think that most of the complaints men have are actually pretty valid in a lot of situations. I think women do abuse horribly the divorce system and the custody system. I think women consistently lie in divorce hearings and proceedings, as do men. Mm-hmm. But women's lies are often much more gripping mm-hmm. sentimentally within a court system because the minute you call a man an abuser, they look like an abuser. The minute you call a woman a word that starts with B and has a T in the middle, everybody just assumes that in a bad relationship, but it doesn't cost her anything in court. Mm-hmm. So in places like Wisconsin, where there's a bias towards women in the court system, as opposed to like Panama city, Florida, where I was from before, where there's a bias towards men mm-hmm. in places like this, women can just, I mean, it's just a fact in America, women get exceedingly higher custody rates. 80% of the time mm-hmm. they just, they, they win in that system and men know that and that's all true. And I'm like on a lot of the men's right stuff. I am on their side. They are Right. Even though on a lot of the women's rights stuff in the right context, in certain ways, I think they're right too. Uh, You know, if the thing is real, if data wise, you can show the thing is real. Mm -hmm. It's a real injustice. I'm on their side, men and women. I don't, I don't care what the politics is. But what I'm saying is as a Christian in the body of Christ through discernment and discipleship, you can choose to fight in that direction. And I think you can win. And I think a Christian man should seek to do that. Yeah. And a Christian woman, Mm -hmm. even though in the world, And in the system of our laws and stuff, it may be not driven by that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It isn't. It's true. Mm -hmm. But you're a man. You should want some danger. Like, like get out there and it's yeah, it's difficult to go fight the war and win Mm -hmm. because it can be done.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. That's so. I think that I think we have to get over that fear because it's a it's not an like I said about women before. It's not an irrational fear. Being horribly abused by a woman through divorce, her ripping away your children taking your productivity as a man but rejecting your sexuality or your presence as a man or your value as a father and a husband, that's very real and it's a horrible it's it is a horrific monstrosity of a sin mm-hmm. for a woman to do that wrongly. So it's not it's not a it's not an irrational fear. Mm-hmm. just like a woman being abandoned by a man is not an irrational fear mm-hmm. right Yeah, but you can't live by fear right mm-hmm. Right
1: The last two. Um, first we, we've covered parts of this, but I think it'd be good to, to specifically in this kind of point where some directions that people can start to head to learn to do better at these things. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. um, unskilled at romance, not knowing how to flirt, um, not knowing how to be both modest and embody your masculinity or femininity at the same time. What are some ways that you can seek to, so we've talked about that just being a thing a couple of times, but what are some ways that you can seek to yeah, grow I mean, in
2: that? Yeah. The short answer is mentor, 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 yeah. mentor, mentor. mentor. Yeah. Get a mentor that isn't bad at that. Yeah. Um, secondly, be ask for advice. Mm-hmm. Say, I'm single. I'm not going to get offended. And here's the thing: this is one of those areas where you kind of want advice from married people. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't think you have the dating skills, or you like see there's something amiss, realize that some married people have no idea why they're married. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> they just don't have any idea. It's all come natural, and they don't have it analyzed it at all. Um, but some do have good advice, and mm-hmm. so ask a number of people until you get something you can use. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you just you've got to you got to figure it out. And so, and and other women, sometimes married women, it's very clear to them what's going on, mm-hmm. especially if they're a little older, and just say what's going on, and ask them to tell you the truth. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's very helpful. And Sometimes it's fairly simple. Sometimes it's like you got to act more vivacious in the presence of men. There's got to be some energy coming off of you.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Men don't want their women to be boring. Give them good eye contact. Laugh at their jokes. Like, be be clearly favorably disposed towards them. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't have to literally laugh at every joke a man makes, but if he makes five jokes and you only laugh at one, you're done. <laughs> like, right? Because he doesn't want a one who isn't. Because here's the thing: like, we're all friends, right? The three of us. And so, if I make a joke, it doesn't have to be that good a joke, and we're all going to laugh,
4: mm-hmm.
2: right? Lewis talks about this in Screw Tape in the Screw tape letters in relationship to fun and humor when people like each other they're looking for an excuse to laugh hmm. Hmm. it's just mm-hmm. it's it's just a way they show they all like each other hmm. right and so if you're with a guy and he's making a joke that joke is as much a request for attention as mm-hmm. it is a joke
1: <laughs> right
2: he's saying hey here's an opportunity for you to say you're interested in interacting with me <laughs> and if you just gotta look at him like that's not that good a joke you didn't answer the question hey here's an opportunity for you to say that you care about <laughs> me mm-hmm. right and so in some ways as a woman you shouldn't laugh stupidly at every joke a guy makes or just right. or or bat your eyelashes at everything stupidly a guy says but you should be easily disposed towards a positive response mm-hmm. where you look interested to be there and that you find what he's saying interesting and so on and if you don't find him interesting then just like move on to the next person or right. something but right. there there's a certain kind of interested flirtatious like that you that's got to be developed and if you're not doing it you got to do it or it's not going to work mm-hmm. and
3: in my experience some people just don't because i think i'm pretty decent at flirting with people i think but some people just don't some guys just don't pick it up so that's
2: true you know when, so yeah so when you guys, have that
3: issue <laughs> yeah, just spell it out kind of yeah guys? so some
2: guys that really just don't have skills on picking up when a girl's interested just ask a couple of married women Mm-hmm. Just like, hey, if you see me like talking to people and like it's clear somebody's interested in me, but they're by their bio, what I have no idea. Could you please tell me? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I literally have said to guys before, I've said, hey, you were talking to so and so. She's like, yeah, 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 I was like, do you realize that she finds attractive? <laughs> you attractive? What, yeah, I have no idea. I was like, I was like, listen, I mean, I'm not God, I, I mean, I don't know everybody's heart, but like just her body language, the way she said it, the way she was laughing, the way the other girl wasn't laughing, all that stuff, like, she was flirting with you. She was what it's like. Other mm-hmm. people see it. So sometimes mm-hmm. you just gotta ask other people and be like, hey, mm-hmm. well, I'm gonna ask her on a date even though mm-hmm. I have no idea if this is true. And you just have to go for it. The less you know, the more sometimes you have to go for it. But mm-hmm. for a lot of guys, if you, if you handle the, for men and women for the most part, it's deal with your insecurities mm-hmm. and your inferiorities. Mm-hmm. Give them no quarter, no space, no hope. Deal with them, deal with them, deal with them until they are destroyed mm-hmm. and you really know who you are and you have a strong mm-hmm. center in who you are and who you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then almost always you become 50% more attractive. Mm-hmm. But young people, like Jung said in Modern Man in Search for Soul, he said most people um, deal with their inferiorities till they're 40 and then the fact that they're dying from 40 on. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's pretty true. And what that means is they don't really start dealing with their inferiorities until they're like 32 to 35. That's way too late. Mm-hmm. You need to start, start working on it right now, yeah. Yeah. whatever age you are, right now
3: and and i agree with that like just even coming from my standpoint of just even how i've changed over the last couple of years even i've lived in madison now for like 4 years and i mm-hmm. look at myself from when i first moved here to where i'm at right now mm-hmm. and i see a different person and so you I, are, you are totally i definitely gr- agree with um with what you're saying with changing on the inside cuz i have i still have insecurities that i i struggle with but i can see mm-hmm. how those because going back on a point that you said um earlier about like i'm pretty like i i could get a guy but then when there's like some of the characteristic things and and insecurities that can definitely not be um it cannot look good from a guy's aspect. And so I think, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know where, what I'm getting at this point, but yeah, I definitely agree with changing some of those inside issues, how Mm -hmm. that can really make a difference and make you more attractive to the opposite. (laughs) sex. Yeah. I mean, this is a very
2: ungodly, crass example, but that's, what's behind cougarism. Like when women over 40 get guys that are younger and can steal them from younger women, that's what that is. It's Mm -hmm. confidence. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, no, she she doesn't have the same body, but she, she has 20 years more experience knowing how to shake it and knowing what men really want and knowing what they're really mm-hmm. looking for. And they, she knows all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so her knowledge and her sense of knowing how to shake the goods actually overcomes a 20-year mm. physicality deficit, which is real. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: like, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And they get guys. So like- it's just a fact that like knowing knowing how to shake the goods, knowing who you are, being confident, giving the right kind of attention, all of that is more, it's a bigger deal. And that is part of finding somebody. And part of it is, it is a big deal about happiness later on. Because later on, both relationally and sexually, that's what matters, not attractiveness. And so guys sort of inherently know that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you got to work on that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's totally workable. You just talk to somebody who knows and realize you're going to get some bad advice too. So you got to sort it out a little bit.
3: And be willing to, I think a lot of people take offense to it and be willing to see those things. If somebody, if you ask somebody for advice about, Hey, what are some things about myself that I could change? Be, be open and willing to hear from other people that it might not be the greatest thing to hear, but it's going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And to go towards that, yeah. I mean, one yep. of
2: the sort of the podcast famous ones was when Vince Pieri came over and talked to me about his relationships, mm-hmm. and we're like shoveling in my backyard, and I was like, Vince, you're single because there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. and it was easy for him because he he had a strong belief in his handsomeness, and so and he never had a problem getting a girl to go out with him, mm-hmm. but he did, couldn't get a girl he wanted to stay with her. It he did something, it didn't work, and I was like, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. And I, he was like, "Ow, oh, like that's," <laughs> you know? but like four months later, when he'd figured out two critical things about himself that he really needed to focus on, for a lot of it from talking actually with my wife Alexi from a women's perspective, he was like, "That's it." And then mm-hmm. when he met his wife, and that all kind of transpired decently well, he was like, "It was me. It was mm-hmm. totally me." And okay. then it, and then once I got deal, dealt with that, we got there from the, from here. Mm-hmm. So I think that. And I've had there's probably been a dozen people that's been true of that. Like there's been something they've been open to hearing usually from our staff team. Cause a lot of these people have been interns or staff and our staff team has been like, yeah, it's really obvious. It's this, how can I help you? And then they're like, well, this and this and this. And then we'd like disciple them. And, and it, it, it happens for like almost all of them. They're just mm-hmm. like, they get past it. They they don't get healed a hundred percent, but they cross that line of it inhibiting their attractiveness mm-hmm. to the other mm-hmm. sex. And once you cross that line, you become attracted to the other half of this and it becomes a thing, a good thing. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And then the final one on here is aimless dating. <laughs> Some people have no trouble getting someone to go out with them, but they're still single. Their relationships don't seem to go anywhere.
2: Yeah. I think the raising purity stuff that we've talked about in other podcasts about yeah. your, you talk early in the relationship, you're looking for a relationship, to go somewhere. This is what your goal is You're in your dating relationships. You're looking for a suitable spouse, not just somebody to be around or to yeah. be with, to show that you're desirable to other people you're not looking for a sexual partner cause you're not going to be having sex. I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, even if like you quote screw up, like even if like you're getting involved sexually with somebody in ways you shouldn't be like, you're doing the making out and groping or you're actually having sex occasionally or whatever. You still need to do as little as possible, mm-hmm. right? You need to pull it back and you need to exert self-control and you need to repent and you need to, even if you think you should be with this person because they might be a suitable spouse, Relative to your level of infirmity, you still need to do everything you can to limit the amount of sexual activity so that it, real pressure is being put on where is this going, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, my, my I, I was not a model of this. Like, we sometimes we have Jill and Nicole on the podcast and he's like, didn't kiss their husbands before their wedding. My wife and I were just the opposite. Like, um, I was a serial dater. I was did, had terrible boundaries, um, but I believed I couldn't have sex with her, right? And so mm-hmm. we would like get down the line of, groping and kissing and that sort of thing and then we, I, we'd, I'd break up with her. I'd say, listen, I adore you but this is not, mm-hmm. we have to have zero, we can't touch each other. And so we'd break up and then we'd be broken up for a while and then we'd go out again because we actually wanted to be with each other. We thought we might have found a suitable spouse in each other but then that would get out of hand again and then we would break up again. Mm-hmm. And I think we broke up like 25 times. I mean, there's one point <laughs> where, she, where she's like, look, this isn't good but if you break up with me again, we're done. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like, well, but... This is—it's non-negotiable that we have to have a cert, we have to at least be pursuing purity, even if we're terrible at it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And we were really terrible at it. But I still said, "Lexi, I'm sorry. I—I I feel like integrity in this moment has to be more important than whatever else. Like I'm—I'm I'm no less committed to you to finding out whether or not we should be husband and wife. But I can't—we cannot be dating because we give ourselves the right to rights we don't have." Mm. And she said, "Okay, but we're done." I was like, okay, if that's, I don't want that, but if that's what it means, that's what it means because I have to please God first.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Though what she said was perfectly reasonable. If she would have dumped me and gone on to another guy, she might have be she might be happier today. I don't mm-hmm. know, um, but she didn't, and obviously we're married now, so. Um, I think that you still do. You have to do as little as possible. Like there, you, st- you always, yeah. even if out of infirmity, you keep failing at godliness. You still pursue it, and you approximate as much as you can, and you plead for God for more power and more help and more wisdom,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and hopefully you'll grow stronger or set up a new system or or structure in your life or kind of whatever. There's lots of things you can do, but you always pursue it because otherwise, the the human heart is doesn't want to commit. It doesn't want to take responsibility, but it does want pleasure. Yeah. And what aimless dating will always flow out of a context in which you are embracing the full responsibility of conjugal union and the lifelong commitment, but you are getting the pleasure. You're getting the, you're getting what you consider the benefits of marriage and leaving behind what you think you think are the responsibilities, Mm -hmm. but really you're just getting the fleeting pleasures and you're stealing from and robbing each other and you're not really getting the great benefits Mm -hmm. that God intended. And so it's because you're, because dating couples do not help each other grow in godliness like married couples. Right for example. And that's the most important thing about marriage is to grow in godliness. The second is fertility that God gets the godly offspring that he wants. Mm-hmm. Those two things you're not really doing. So, yeah. So I think just having a different mentality about dating, having a different idea about what you're doing, yeah, not waiting to get started, but look, starting to look for a suitable person somewhere around 19 ish. I think is probably a good 18 and a half. 19 ish is a, a probably a good place to be saying I'm going to be 20 soon. I'm getting to where I'm, I'm getting halfway through my degree I'm getting to where I should start looking for a suitable person so that when I'm ready to marry one, I've got one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And recognizing I, it might not be the first person I ask out. Who is mm-hmm. that person? It might take mm-hmm. a little while. So I don't want to start late. I want to start right. early. Right. So mm-hmm. I think you start, if you start doing those things, you put yourself in as good a situation as you can be in. But then again, also mentoring, 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 right. mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. Get people in your life to guide you.
3: Yeah, and it? one last thing to add to that, I think was really important that you said is to get mentored also and ask advice of married people because I feel like as a single person, we ask our, in our own category, we ask all of the single people, well, what am I doing? What am I not doing? Um, and they're all single. Right. So yeah. I think I think we need to be dipping into another bucket of like getting advice from, like you said, godly. like yeah Other people single people I
2: think can be a great asset in coping in a godly way Mm. with some of the difficulties of singleness. Yeah. Right? Loneliness sometimes creeps in. You know, getting out there and not becoming too much of a homebody. Like there are some things that happen in singleness that are negative and other single people can help you be like, well, here's how I'm dealing with that and you can pray for each other and have a lot of empathy and sympathy. Mm. If you want to know how to close the deal better, uh, I mean, I would go for somebody who's closed the deal, generally speaking. You know, Mm -hmm. if you want to know how to get married, I would talk to married people. Right. Mm. Um, so I think that in a single person's life, single people and married people have somewhat overlapping but also somewhat different roles. So dealing with not being single anymore, i would I would for the most part go for married people, but just remember, sometimes married people give terrible advice. they They were like the blind squirrel that got a nut, and they have no idea what really caused them to get married. And sometimes they will speak to you in ways you find condescending. and it's not you being sensitive. it really is them being condescending. Mm. That's all that's all can happen. that can all be true but there are some great gems and great mentoring and great advice mm-hmm. and married people will see things. Because remember, the married person isn't in the chasing game, mm. so they're watching the game happen. Mm-hmm. Like at a church like ours with lots of single people interacting with each other. The married people are all just kind of watching the birds flitter around. Mm-hmm. And the the single people are the birds flittering around and you don't see everything. And sometimes married people see attraction and liking and problems. And they can often see a relationship is doomed. Like in the first week mm-hmm. and they just see stuff. Single people sometimes don't see, um, but sometimes single people see it too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know? Great. This is all really helpful. Um, and again, the reminder of all these things is, is like you're saying one mentoring is a direction to go. And two, Jesus is the one who is the one who's walking alongside you in all these things. Mm -hmm. He is the one who is doing the work in your heart to bring you into wholeness. He is the one who desires the better for your life or the Mm -hmm. best for your life. Um, and so all these things that we're talking about are pieces of our pieces of advice about how to, how to apply the gospel into different particular vocations, but but seeking after him with all your heart Mm -hmm. is, is the center is like the bleeding center of this whole thing.
2: Right. And from, and from Isaiah 56 to the life of Jesus, to Paul clearly dignifying singleness in first Corinthians Mm seven in God's people and among the, among humanity, people who use singleness for good and honor Mm -hmm. God in it are an ideal. Yeah. They are a picture of the perfect, complete, honest and, full human life and Mm -hmm. we should have no bigotries against them. Um, and yet they probably will not be the, be the norm or be normative percentage wise. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be able to help people who aren't living in that ideal, even though they're Mm -hmm. living in that condition. Yeah. And so if, so you've got, if you're single and you're listening to this, just be really careful about what you take offense at, because if you're taking offense and I didn't tell you, you were in any of these categories. Mm -hmm. So if you're offended by one of them, you're the one who's assuming I think you're in that category. Mm -hmm. And actually, that may be evidence that you really in- know in your intuition that you are in that category, mm-hmm. but you don't want to admit it to yourself. And so that's something worth praying and reflecting on. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. and maybe seeking sinking mentoring. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We will uh, see you next time. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.